Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. This Christmas season, we invite you to look deeper into the incredible covenants God made with His people in Scripture. Tune into our current series, Gift Wrapped, From Longing to Lavish, to discover God's unwavering promises to meet the ultimate longings of our heart and ultimately renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. Uh, Today we get to dive into the Word. We get to continue our series that we started a couple weeks ago uh, called Gift Wrap from Longing to Lavished. And today we're going to be in Exodus chapter 19. So please get out your Bibles, open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, feel free to pull out your cell phone. Uh, Exodus chapter 19, we uh, are diving into the English Standard Version. That's the version we use here at Woodside. Uh, Exodus chapter 19. Today we're going to be examining verses 1 through 6. Uh, what I want to do for you, though, is I want to set up for you a little bit uh, what's been going on so far up until Exodus chapter 19. In this series, we've been looking at the covenants that God has been making with his people. The first covenant we looked at was the covenant of Noah, that God would never again flood the earth. And we see in that covenant that God showed Noah and his people that he is a God of faithfulness and a God of grace. Then last week we, uh, we were with Abraham and God came to Abraham and he promised Abraham that Abraham would be a great nation and that through him all the nations of the world, all the peoples would be blessed. Yet in Genesis 15 last week, it had been 12 years since the promise of God and God had not given Abraham an offspring. He was getting older and older and it looked very bleak that God was going to fulfill his promise. Yet God came to him, he promised him, he covenanted with him and he swore that he would give him a son and God fulfilled his promise. Abraham had a son named Isaac and Isaac had a son named Jacob and Jacob had 12 sons and and God ended up using uh, the offspring of uh, Jacob to bring the people of Israel to Egypt through a famine. If you remember part of the promise that God made with Abraham is that his people were going to be oppressed and afflicted for 400 years. Now what ends up happening is the nation of Israel goes to Egypt and because of, uh, of the nation of Israel growing while they are there, the Pharaoh gets, he gets scared and he thinks that maybe they will join his enemies against him. And so he puts them under oppression. He puts them under affliction. He puts them under slavery for 400 years. What God said to Abraham is now being fulfilled. For 400 years, Israel is under slavery. For 400 years, the descendants of Abraham are in slavery. Yet God raises up a man by the name of Moses and he calls him to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let his people go. But we know the story, Pharaoh hardens his heart and and God uses plagues in order to cause Pharaoh to know that he is God culminating in the plague of, uh, of the angel of death going about the land and killing the firstborn of every Egyptian. And through that, Pharaoh lets God's people go. Yet he changes his mind as the people are leaving. He sends his chariots after them to chase them. We end up at a point in the story where God's people are facing the Red Sea. They can't cross. They have Pharaoh's armies behind them, and God has to move. God opens up the sea, and they walk through on dry ground. Then when the Pharaoh's chariots come through, God crashes down the waves around them and wipes them out. 
God delivers his people as he promised. And so today in Exodus chapter 19, that is three months after the nation of Israel is delivered. Three months of wandering into the desert. And today they come to a place in the wilderness called Sinai to Mount Sinai, which is known as the mountain of God. Let's read that text. On the third moon, after the people of Israel had gone out to the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from the Rephim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped in the wilderness before the mountains, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and have bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine and shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Now you can imagine the people of Israel have been delivered from 400 years of slavery. 400 years of day in and day out serving another nation. 400 years of not being delivered. They were told by their parents and their grandparents that God was going to deliver them. He promised that he would, that they were God's chosen people. Yet God was not moving in 400 years. Now put yourself in that place. And then you're the generation where God delivers. He delivers you from the bondage of Egypt. Now you've been delivered and you've seen God do miraculous things that now your question is, what, what's next? You've been in the desert for three months. And in fact, as they come to the mountain of God, they're going to be at this mountain for 10 more months. And they're asking the question, what is God doing? Well, today, God is going to answer that question to his people. And we can learn as God's people what we are called to and who we are in the eyes of God. And the first thing that we see in this text is that God saves his people to treasure them. Isn't that beautiful? For those of you who are in Christ, for those of you who surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, God saved you for two purposes, to treasure you and for you to bring him great glory. Isn't that an incredible truth? If you know Christ, God saved you, that you would be his treasure, his prized possession. And that's what he tells the people of Israel here. He shows them that, that he delivered them. He delivered them from the nation of Egypt. And what we see with Israel coming to this place at the foot of this mountain where they're going to worship God is a fulfillment of a promise that God made to Moses when he called him to go and say to Pharaoh to let his people go in Exodus chapter 3 verse 12. He said, but I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. You see, Moses has come full circle on this journey. He goes from Moses who went up on Mount Sinai because he saw a burning bush, a bush that was on fire, but it was not burning up. He came to this bush and God spoke to him through this bush. Moses met the great I am 
who called Moses to go and talk to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Now, if you remember, Moses' insecurity was that he wasn't very good at speaking. So God sent Aaron with him. Well, now the man who didn't even want to go to Pharaoh and talk to him is going to be the very mouthpiece of God to Israel. Moses has come full circle, and God has fulfilled his promise, and he has showed him a sign that he has fulfilled his promise. And now God's going to enter into another covenant with his people. He renews these covenants at different places in the Old Testament, and all of these covenants culminate in the crucifixion, the death, the resurrection of Christ, the new covenant of the blood of Jesus, which we celebrate when we take communion. And what happens is God's message is twofold. First, they're called to remember who he is and what he has done. Second, that they're to remember that God prizes them and they're his cherished possession. Verse four, he says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. And they really have, haven't they? They've seen God come through with 10 plagues and destroy the Egyptian crops, the Egyptian homes, the Egyptian water supply, and even the firstborn sons of the Egyptians. They've seen a God who's in control of all things. They've seen a God who is in control even of life and death. They've seen a God who can part the Red Sea. And they've seen a God who can bring it back down again and protect them. They've seen a God who leads them and guides them with a pillar of smoke by day and a pillar of fire at night. And they've seen God move. And they've seen what he's done to the Egyptians. Now, I think times of doubt in our lives or times of questioning, we have to look back in our lives and we have to see what God has done before in our lives. We have to remember the faithfulness of our God and we have to remember who our God is. Because in the hardest times, it is in those times that it's hardest to look back and remember that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our situations do not determine who God is. He is the same. James says he doesn't change like a shifting shadow. God is God in the midst of the pandemic. God is king right now. He is always ruling and reigning. And he is always working out for our good and his glory for those who are called according to his purpose. So we have to remember what our God has done. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. Then he says, how I bore you on eagles' wings. Isn't that beautiful imagery? God lifting his people and delivering them, giving them freedom from slavery. How he bore them on eagles' wings. He did the impossible that they may be freed. Then he says this third statement, which I just think is beautiful. He says, and brought you to myself. Now think about this. This is the creator God of the universe. This is the God who's in control of everything. We find out later that the nation of Israel is not the greatest nation. They're not the nation with the most people. They're not the nation that's going to make God look the greatest. 
But God chooses this nation, not because of their sheer size or because of any good things that they did. He comes to them and he chooses them. And he brings them to himself. Now I see in that a beautiful picture of God's sovereign election. God's choosing of a people for himself. Choosing of a people for himself, not because of of their characteristics, not because they're some great nation, not because of anything they did, but because God loves them and he chose them. It says in Ephesians that God chose us as Christians in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him. See, if you're in Christ, God too has brought you to himself. And he has saved you. I hear this, this beautiful poetry of the words of God. And he says, I have taken you out on eagle's wings. And I brought you to myself. Then he says later, you'll be my treasured possession. Such beautiful words. I, I think of the words of a husband for his wife on their wedding day. I want to bring you to myself. Have you be part of my family. I want you to be one with me and I want you to be my treasured possession. Our beautiful and loving Lord talking to his people. Yet it's interesting because in verse 5, we see God come to them and he says, Listen though, if you're my people and my prized possession, you're called to something. Look in verse 5. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. He says, listen, you're going to be my treasured possession. Yet as my treasured possession, you're called to something different than everybody else. You're called to obey my voice. And you're called to keep my commandments. And really, as we look from the nation of Israel to the people of God today, the church, we're called to obey his voice and we're called to obey his word. Not out of duty, yet it is what we are called to, but truly we can find delight and joy and peace in it. God gave us, when, when he saved us, the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Let me tell you this, because I know I have to remember this in these times, that if you are in Christ, all of those things reside in you. They do, all of them. And parents, that includes patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the things I have to remember on a daily basis. Because Stace and I, were, we have three kids, uh, four and under. And so uh, that's a challenge for me. But I always have to remember that. I have to remember as a dad, I'm called to listen to the voice of my God. Yet he also equips me and gives me the spirit to love my family well. And you could take that in any area of our lives. We're called to holiness. We're called to be different and set apart from everybody else. He says, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. God calls his people out and he makes them his prized possession. And God saves his people. Now, if you're somebody here today who doesn't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, 
you are not part of the people of God. That's what the scripture says. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've never confessed your sins to God, if you've never said, God, my life is yours and I'm going to live for you from now on, then you're not part of the people of God. Yet the beautiful thing is today that you are here for a reason. You're here to hear this message. You're here to hear the good news of Jesus. Sin means missing the mark. The mark we're talking about is God's holy standard, which is absolute perfection, which none of us can measure up to. Yet the good news is that in his grace, something we don't deserve, God sent his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross that we could be forgiven of our sins. And if you don't know Jesus here today, you can surrender your life to him and he'll change your life. And you will be his treasured possession. It says in the word, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as your Lord, the one who controls your life, and believe with everything you are in your heart, the core of who you are, that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. So if you're someone here today, you can just surrender your life to Christ right now. Say, God, I, I, I turn away from my old way of life. I, I realize I'm a sinner and I want to give my life to you. If that's you here today, please don't leave here without talking to me, without talking to Stacy, without talking to someone. We want to be able to uh, get you connected and for you to know Christ as your Lord and Savior if God's pulling on your heart. Because it is not by mistake that you are here. Yet even as Christians, all of us can identify as well if you know Jesus Christ, we can very easily start to forget the value that we have in the eyes of God. So much so that we start to think that why would God really ever love me? Or, or maybe we have, we have self-esteem struggles and, and we, we struggle with truly being valuable. Well, if you are in Christ, you are actually God's prized possession. That's what it says here. You are God's prized possession. Remember that. Because it doesn't matter what people around you say. It truly matters what God says. And we see throughout Scripture, if you're someone who's living to please God, if you're someone who God would look at and say, that person truly is my servant. They love me. They, they want to please me with their lives. Even if the world makes fun of you or hates you because of it, if you please God, that's what truly matters. Though it will be hard in this life, if you're someone who's in middle school or high school or even elementary school, living for Jesus is hard because our society is continuing to go away from Christ. Yet we can remember that if you are in Jesus, you're a new creation, you're a prized possession, and he deeply loves you, and you're valuable. We get treasured by God. And the beautiful thing is we get to treasure God as well. See, he treasures us, and we get to treasure him. Jesus tells of a parable of two men in Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like hidden treasure in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. In his joy, he went and sold all he had. That's the first story. Second 45, and again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. We see two men find these things of infinite value. 
The first is a treasure hidden in the field. The second is a pearl that is priceless. And because they see this treasure in the field or this pearl and realize the value of it, the first one in his joy goes and takes all of his house and his cars, well, he didn't have cars, but, but his donkeys and his fields and his, his carts and whatever else they had back then, and he sells them and he goes and buys this empty field because he knows what's contained in that is this treasure. The second guy, he, he finds this pearl. He sells everything he has. And it says the kingdom of heaven is like this. If you possess salvation, if Christ has saved you, you truly have the most valuable thing in existence. That's what the text is talking about. The question we have to ask ourselves is do we treasure Jesus like that? I mean, let's be real. In this world, in America, in the Western culture, a culture of comfort mostly, not for all people, but the Western culture is a culture of comfort for the most part. We spend our lives trying to be comfortable. It's easy to forget just how valuable Jesus is. It's easy to get caught up in all the things the culture tells us to go after and to forget that we're supposed to pursue Jesus. So it's good at times to, to check our hearts, especially coming into the Christmas season where we come into Christmas and we're, we, we get the opportunity to give to one another. Yet the other day I was with my daughter in her room and she was crying. She was, I mean, just weeping and having a very hard time I said, sweetie, what's wrong? She's like, it's so hard to wait for Christmas. <laughs> Why? I want my presents. Because <laughs> many times Christmas can become about getting. Yet, as we go into Christmas season, may we remember the greatest gift. We say this all the time. Jesus is the greatest gift that's ever been given. He really is. He really is. Like people have given everything for Jesus. What are we willing to give up for Jesus? That's a question we should take and ask ourselves because he treasures us and he loves us deeply and we get the opportunity to treasure him. If we can treasure him over everything else in this world, over everything the world tells us to go after, it truly will change the way we live. It will naturally flow out of us because our obedience will come out of just this love for God. True love is expressed in sacrifice. We have to ask, are we willing to give up everything for Jesus? Because he prizes us. He saves us to treasure us. Second, he equips his people to minister, uh, 19, 5 through 6. You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He says, listen, among all the people in the world, you're going to be my treasured possession. The creator God of the universe, he says it right in here, all the earth is mine. That's a pretty profound statement for him to say as well. In a culture where all the cultures around them said there were all these multitude of gods that controlled all these different parts of the earth. And God says, no, nope, all the earth is mine. 
first real claim of this monotheistic idea that God is the only God. And all the earth is his. He says, and all the earth is mine, and you're my, tri- you're my treasured possession. Not anything, anything else he created. Not the sunset or the sunrise. Not the beautiful mountains. Not the Caribbean ocean. Not the universe. Us, his people. He said, I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests. It's not only just going to treasure you, I'm calling you to something. Calling you to be a priest. A priest is someone who stands on behalf of God and draws people closer to him. A priest is one who stands before God and helps others receive forgiveness of their sins. They would offer a sacrifice. A priest is one who speaks the words and proclaims the ways of the God. And he says, I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests. And this is a fulfillment of Genesis chapter 12 where he said, you're going to be a great nation and I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. Israel will be the nation from which the deliverer, the ultimate deliverer will come from. One commentator puts it this way. Israel's assignment from God involved intermediation. They were not to be a people unto themselves, enjoying their special relationship with God and paying no attention to the rest of the world. Rather, they were to represent him to the rest of the world and attempt to bring the rest of the world to him. So we can realize that beautiful, that beautiful truth that we're a treasured possession of God and that we have a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And then we can say, all right, I'm going to sit in my relationship with Jesus Christ and enjoy him forever. Which is part of what our calling is, is to enjoy Jesus forever. Yet the other part is to glorify God. The other part is to preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. You see, God has his ministers who go and proclaim his word, who draw people to himself and proclaim the forgiveness of sins. That was the nation of Israel, and now it's the church. Church, the word for church in the Greek is ekklesia. What it means is called out ones. That means called out from the rest of the world. We're called out in order to minister to the rest of the world. God equips his people. God has equipped each and every one of us. He's he's made good deeds for us to walk in. That's what Ephesians 2.10 says. He's prepared those beforehand that we should walk in them. And each one of us, when we give our life to Christ, receives a gift from God called a spiritual gift. And we get to serve the church with that gift. And there's a variety of different gifts. There's a gift of hospitality. There's there's a gift of preaching and teaching. There's a gift of prayer. There's There's a gift of mercy. There's all these different gifts that the church has. Those who have deeper faith, there's all these different giftings that the church has. And each and every one is valuable and each and every one is needed. And the, the goal of these gifts is to build the church up so all of us can grow in Christ more. That's why we need each other. That's why we gather together. Because you have something different than I have. And we each need to utilize our gifts to serve the church. So in reality, if you're not serving the church right now, 
The call today is to start serving the church. Start asking how you can get more involved. Start asking how you can help proclaim the mission of the church and of the Lord. How, how, can, I, how can I build up the body? Because the reality is the reason why one of our core values at Woodside, one of the things that we focus on Sunday morning, life groups, and serving is because serving is more than just getting all the people we need in order to keep the ministry going. <laughs> that's, not, that's not the definition of serving. Serving is utilizing the gifts that God has given us in order that we could grow in Christ-likeness and be more like Jesus. Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And God equips you to do that. He also equips you to preach the gospel. He also equips you to disciple, to reach out to those around you, to your neighbors, to the people at your work. Guys, the society right now is continually isolating us. I mean, sheltering in place, we're alone for three straight months, and then there's a three-week pause, and, then, and, and, and there's reasoning behind it, but the reality is it's causing us to become more and more individualistic, and the truth of the matter is the church is more needed than ever because it's something different than the entire rest of the world. You can't get the church on a VR goggle. It's not a virtual reality. It is a reality and a reality you can't get anywhere else. It's community of Christ. And we need one another and we need people in the church to serve, to preach the gospel, to reach out to your neighbors, to give them the hope that is in Jesus. Then God will equip you to do that. It says in 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may proclaim and declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God saves us to treasure us. God equips us to minister and God calls us into holy community. Holy meaning set apart, community being with one another. We get to have community. 19.6, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God here establishes Israel as a nation and as his nation. They are now on the scene. And through Israel, God is going to give the Ten Commandments. He's going to give all of his different laws. And the way they live their lives and how they worship God is going to cause other people to go, what is going on with that people? And hopefully that will draw God, draw them to God. We too are called to a holy and different life. God is fulfilling his promise to Abraham. He's fulfilling his promise to make this nation great and bless all the people of the world through it. It's interesting, though, because the reality is God says in this covenant, if you will obey me and keep my commandments, then you'll be my prized possession. But the reality is, is that no person in themselves can keep all the commandments. No person in themselves can obey all the laws that God gave. So Israel once again failed. Humanity failed with Noah now Israel fails, as we see through the history of Israel, time and time again. Yet we continue to see God's grace given them over and over again. Now humanity is at this place that will be the treasured possession of God if we obey him, keep his commandments. Yet we can't keep his commandments, so somebody's got to deliver us. Somebody's got to do something. 
And that's why in these covenants, God creates the covenant, God sustains the covenant, and God fulfills the covenant. And the way he fulfilled this covenant was the birth of a baby that we celebrate on Christmas Day. A baby who would live a perfect life, who would minister, who would be hated, who would be tortured, hung on a cross, die, and be resurrected from death. A baby who will one day return as a warrior on a white horse with a tattoo on his thigh that says King of Kings and Lord of Lords with a sword out of his mouth to defeat evil and to deliver his people. And we will get to stand and proclaim his name for all eternity, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.